Welcome to the Anchored Hope Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Today's series is The End, Part 2, Mark of the Beast, featuring Michael Davis. Well, if you're just joining us, we are continuing a conversation that we started last week. We're talking about the end times. The name of this series is called The End, and the reason that we're talking about it is because, well, it seems to be on our minds and our hearts a lot. I mean, every time that there's a red moon, a pandemic, uh, a, a war breaks out, or, you know, a Democrat is elected president, we think this is it. This is the end. This has got to be the Antichrist, and we're all about to get microchipped, and we're going to get the mark of the beast, and oh my goodness. And so we freak out a little bit, right? And so we're going to talk about this. We're studying it, and it's an appropriate time because it's on our minds and our hearts. And so, but first off, when we started a series last week, and you can go get caught up on our podcast, or you can get, go get caught up on, on YouTube or anything like that if you want to listen to last week's message. But we laid some ground rules, okay? So these are the ground rules for this conversation, if you missed it. So these are the ground rules. Number one, this conversation is not essential to our faith. But we, 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 we who claim to be Christian need to understand this. There are some things that we fight over that aren't necessary to fight over. Because there are some things we argue about that are just simply not essential to the Christian faith. I mean, if you believe that there are velociraptors on Noah's Ark, God bless you. I'm not going to argue with that, okay? If you think that the world wasn't created in six days, that that's just a metaphor and it was really six years, God bless you, okay? That is not essential. And this conversation is not essential. Yeah, I'm going to say some things, especially today. I'm going to get into the book of Revelations today. I'm going to give you some options. And there are some that are you're probably going to blow your mind. That you're going to go, I disagree with that so much. And guess what? If you write me an email, if you come up to me and you go, I totally disagree with you. I don't think it's that way. It's this way. I'm going to go, cool. Because it doesn't matter, okay? The thing that matters, the thing that's most important is that you and I both believe that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And that whoever shall believe in him, whoever shall pick up their cross and follow him, that they are promised everlasting life. And that his son, our Savior, he died on the cross for our sins and he was raised three days later just as he predicted. As long as you and I agree on that, we are peachy, okay? Now, if you disagree with that, if you don't think Jesus really was resurrected or you don't think he died for our sins, then I'm going to point you to the Snake's Charming Church, okay? But as long as we agree on that, that is the only thing we should argue about, not other theological matters, because let's be honest, there are going to be a lot of denominations in heaven, okay? There are going to be people who took communion with wine, and there are going to be people who took communion with Welch's grape juice, okay? There's going to be a lot of different people in heaven, and this is not something that we should argue about, because as I said last week, there is nothing that Satan would like more than for the church to have disagreements over non-essential things, and it ruin our reputation, and it ruin our chance to witness to our community. Amen? Okay, now, rule number two, I kind of glossed over this last week. I kind of messed up my sermon, because it's hard to not preach with notes, but rule number two is no one knows what they're talking about, okay? And Yeah, exactly, and here's the thing, me included, all right? I include myself, all right? These are options. This is not really a, a sermon. I'm not preaching at you. There are times I'm preaching, but there are other times where I'm, we're having a conversation. I'm pre presenting you information, and the thing that I was, you know, kind of bothered by as I did my research is anybody who you, you know, researched or you read their book or you read their blog or you read their opinion, they were so certain, so certain that what they thought was right. And here's the thing. I think that kind of traps you in a box because I, I don't think any of us can really put God in a box. Do you agree? I don't think any of us can look at God and go, I'll tell you what I got figured out about God. I read a book while I was sitting on the toilet the other day. 
And I came to some discoveries that I know are true. 100%, Pastor. You betcha. Oprah is the Antichrist. Okay? Look, everyone thinks that they know something. All right? Everybody thinks they know something. But what do we say around here? I don't know everything about anything. Right? I don't know everything about anything. And so that's where we stand on this. So don't listen to everybody. Okay? And so we talked about the tribulation. Right? The tribulation, it simply means this. Troubled times. Right? In tribulation, it's mentioned one time in the Bible, one time, one verse in Revelations does it mention tribulation. And so we talked about the tribulation, and we talked about, you know, there's a lot of different opinions. If you study the tribulation, is the tribulation to come? Did the tribulation already happen? Well, here's my opinion on it. You know what? We've been in tribulation ever since Jesus left this earth, and we've always been waiting for his return. And so we kind of put it like this. We will always be in tribulation until Jesus returns. So we wait patiently, hopefully, and expectantly. Amen? Right? That's the point. Could it get worse? Maybe. Has it been worse before? Definitely. We really don't know, and it really doesn't matter. The point is, is that we wait hopefully, expectantly, and patiently because the return of Christ is a good thing. It's not a scary thing. It's not a horror film. It's something we should look forward to. So, now last week we talked about what Jesus said about tribulation and, you know, what Jesus told his disciples. And he didn't even use the word tribulation. And what he talked about, a lot of it already happened whenever the, the temple fell for the second time in history, when the Rome came in and they destroyed the temple. And so you could kind of take Jesus' words of maybe he's talking about the end times or maybe he's talking about the end of the temple, which happened after Jesus ascended into heaven. Now today, though, we're going to get into Revelations, okay? And Revelations is, is something that, you know, we've all maybe dove into a little bit. Um, and so I'm going to read you just the prologue of Revelations. If you open up your Bible in the very first chapter, in the very first verse of Revelations, this is what it says. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him, talking about John, to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So then it says next. Blessed is the one who reads out loud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, Revelations is really weird, okay? Revelations is just odd. If you've ever opened it, okay, there's all kinds of things going on. There's scrolls, there's four horsemen, there's two-headed beasts, okay? There's all kinds of weird things going on. Nobody can understand it. Nobody knows what's going on. So there's a couple thoughts on Revelations, okay? The first thing is that it's considered apocalyptic literature, okay? It was added as canon into the Bible about the 4th century. And let me tell you, it barely made it because there are, is a ton of debate over Revelation, who wrote it, when they wrote it, who they wrote it to, and what it is really about. Because as you see, when you start to look at the book of Revelation, there's a lot of dramatic, visual, and theatrical language, Okay? And one of the things that people agree on is that it was written by John. Now, here's the thing. Here's number one, the, the biggest debate, okay, is who wrote the book of Revelation? It says John. John who? There's a lot of John. John the Baptist. We have John the Baptist. We have John uh, the disciple. Who wrote this? Well, John the Baptist, he died, so we know it's not him, right? But we have John the Apostle. And there's a group of people who believe that this was written by John the Apostle. There are other people who believe that, no, this is not the same John. 
we'll see a little bit later in a couple verses, it says, I'm writing to you from exile, basically prison, on an island uh, on Patmos. And Patmos was an island off of the coast of Asia. And he writes to these seven different churches in Asia Minor. And so a lot of people go, it's not John the Apostle. It's John of Patmos. It's a different John. Great. All we need is another John, right? And so he goes, it's not John the Apostle. It's John of Patmos. Okay, maybe, possibly, we'll see, and we'll kind of dive into a little bit of that here in just a minute. So there's even debate about that, right? So, but here's the thing that we know for sure when it comes to Revelation. This is undebatable. Everybody agrees with this, and this is what you need to understand to kind of give you a basis. Revelation is a letter intended to warn Christians, okay? It is warning a group of Christians. It's written by a persecuted Christian named John who had a vision. We know for a fact, whether it's John of Padmos or whether it's John the Apostle who ended up in Padmos, he was captured by Romans, he's now in prison, he's being persecuted for his beliefs, and he had a vision. Okay? And it uses dramatic language and imagery that is not to be taken literally. Okay? So if you're watching your news and you're waiting for a beast to come out of the water, you're, you're going to be sorely disappointed, okay? All right? So it's not to be taken literal. There's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of theatrics. And there, there might be a reason for that, okay? So now that we have that addressed, we know that there is a John who had a vision, and he's writing these seven churches in Asia to warn them, to tell them something, something they need to be aware of. Now, you all know there's, there's one option that a lot of us know, Right? Who's Revelation written to and what it's about? Well, a lot of us kind of think of the Left Behind books, right? Or movies that we've seen. And option one, I don't need to spend a whole lot of time on it. Option one is this, or opinion one, I should say. Revelations is a future where an Antichrist will rise up, the mark of the beast will be applied, tribulation will take place until Christ raptures his people. Anybody familiar with this opinion, right? Most of us are, right? This is the opinion that was given us or the option that was there to scare us, right, into believing. I mean, if hell didn't do it, this will get you there, right? I mean, this will get you to the altar on a Thursday night at teen camp, kids, no, no doubt, all right? When you talk about beasts and marks and all kinds of things, yeah, for sure you want to make sure you're going to make it, right? And so this is option or opinion number one. And the thing is, is I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because I think you're really familiar with this. I think this is probably the opinion that we, we grew up hearing, the opinion that even our culture believes, and which is why we typically freak out when we hear Mark of the Beast, 666, Antichrist, rapture, tribulation, all that type of stuff. We are pretty familiar with opinion number one. So what I want to do is I want to give you opinion number two. And again, I'm not telling you that this is what I believe, but I'm telling you it's an opinion, right? Opinion number two. Revelations is a first century political cartoon critiquing empires, specifically Rome, and rebuking churches that side with this oppressive power. Now, you may not have ever heard this opinion, but it's a pretty popular one. I mean, you have these two opinions conflicting with each other, and this is kind of what they're talking about. So if you remember in history, about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the church became persecuted. You remember a couple months ago, we studied the letters of Peter. Peter wrote the persecuted church because about 64 AD, there was a fire in Rome at the Colosseum. It ended up burning down most of Rome. And so most people believe that it was Nero, the Caesar, who did it because he had a little bit of a, a political fight with his uh, Senate. But he blamed Christians. And so Christians became public enemy number one. And so Christians were persecuted. Christians were put to death. 
uh, Christians were, 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 were tortured and, and, and killed left and right. It was very hard at that time. And so when Peter writes a letter, Peter writes a letter to a group of Christians who quite honestly want to fight back. They want to storm the gates. They want to take Nero down. They want to overthrow him, right? Because that was an option. And so Peter writes them directly. Well, there was another option. Instead of fighting Caesar, you could join Caesar. And guess what? There were a large number of churches that chose to join Caesar. And to do that, you had to bow down to Caesar. In order to do that, you had to call Jesus Lord. And so there's an opinion that Revelations is John the Apostle who has actually been captured, who has been put on the island of Patmos, and he is writing a group of churches who have decided to side with Caesar, who have decided to call Caesar Lord and say that Caesar is the Son of God. And he's writing them to warn them. Now, your first question, if you're kind of putting this together, is, okay, but when we studied Peter, Peter was very direct. Peter spoke directly to the problem. He spoke very practically and very easily. So if this were a letter that was written uh, by, by John, why did he not write so simple? What, I mean, all this vision stuff and all these images and everything else. And the explanation would be this, is because John was in a Roman prison. And so John, if he were going to write a letter and dictate it to a group of churches, everything that he wrote would have to get by the Roman guards. And if John wrote in plain English practically and spoke about Nero or Caesar and said people's names, then guess what? When the Roman guards saw it, they said, well, we're not letting this get out. This is propaganda. And so they would tear it up and they would throw it in the trash. So the belief or the opinion is, is that when John wrote this letter, in order to get it past the Roman guards, he had to use some imagery. He had to change people's names. He had to tell the story a little bit differently, kind of like a political cartoon. It, was, it would be like, let's say, if I were talking about last year's election, and I don't want to name names, and I don't want to upset my grandma who's watching the live stream, so I couldn't say, you know, Trump or Biden, so I said, oh, you know, it's kind of like the orange elephant fought the stuttering mule, right? And I didn't want to use names, so I just talked about the orange elephant and the stuttering mule and how they fought over an epic battle of wits, but both of them were kind of stupid. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm not going to mention their names directly, so I'm going to like paint a, paint a picture that only the people I'm writing will understand. And you all laughed, so you understood that joke. That's very good. So that's, that's the opinion, right? Now, again, you know opinion number one very well. So let's dive into if opinion number two is real and that this letter was written by John about 67 AD and he's talking about Nero and Caesar and he's talking to this audience of Christians who have decided to side with the government in order to have freedom and not be persecuted. What is it exactly that he would say and what does that mean for us today? So let's talk first about this, the, the mark of the beast, right? Very popular thing, big, big thing, right? Revelations, it talks about this, this beast, right? And what this beast does and, and what, this, what, the, what John sees this beast doing. And so this is what Revelation says about this beast. It says, the beast forced all people, great, small, rich, and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their, on their right hand or on their forehead. And then it goes on. And it says this mark, it allowed them, without the mark, they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So you may have been familiar with this verse. You may have read this verse, right? John says he has a vision. And he goes, there's this beast out there. And this beast has a mark. 
And if you take up this mark, which is available to everybody, you, you have to take up this mark in order to buy, sell, basically live, right? And then John says something very, very interesting, right? Because when we think of the mark, we think of like Mark of the Beast. This is why we freak out about microchips. A lot of us thought that there were microchips in all the masks that you ordered from Amazon, right? We think that there's microchips in the vaccine, right? It's everywhere. Which, by the way, you all walk around with a microchip. It's called your cell phone. But anyway, this is what he says next. It says, this calls for wisdom. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And that number is 666. Now, you may not have ever remembered this, right? Now, think about what he's trying to say here, because this is interesting. We usually kind of look over this, all right? He says, this calls for wisdom. It's almost like John is writing to his audience. He goes, now think about this for a minute. Wink, wink. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast. It's like he's saying, hey, take this number, calculate it, do the math. He says, because this number is the number of a man. And that number is 666. Now, I know we've all wondered, what in the world is 666? What, is it, what, what does that mean? And by the way, the government's never going to tattoo you with 666 because it would be too obvious, right? But here's the thing. What does this mean? It's almost like John is saying, now be smart here. Think about it. Do the math. I'm talking about a man, and that man's number is 666. Well, a lot of people believe that this is Jewish code, a code that every single Jewish boy or girl would have known because they learned it growing up. And the name of the code is this. It's called the Gematria Code. And what Gematria Code is, is it's an alphanumeric code of assigning a numerical value to a name, word, or phrase based on its letters. If you go to Pompeii, there's Greek graffiti, and there's Greek graffiti that even says this. A man, he, he, he wrote some code, and he wrote this number on some, some graffiti. He said, I love the woman whose number is 545, okay? By the way, I'm celebrating my 11th anniversary with woman 126879, okay? Next week. <laughs> Calculate the number and find the woman in the room, right? Uh, <laughs> But there's graffiti, right? And what this is, is this is Gematria code, right? Whoever this woman is, he didn't want to write her name. He's probably afraid that it, her, you know, her daddy would find it or whatever. So he wrote it in code, 545, and they can figure that out. Now, this Gematria code, if you took this Gematria code and you took it and you used it to find out whose name is 666, guess whose name you would find? Nero. Nero Kazar, the Caesar at the time. Interesting, right? Did you know, for those of you who are afraid of 666, that that is not the only number that's actually there? There are actually several manuscripts around the world where you could find original manuscripts where the number is not 666. It's actually 616. So if you're afraid of 666, look out for 616 too, okay? But this is also found in other literature as well. And you know what's interesting? is It's the shorthand for Nero. And the reason is that many people believe is that John was writing about Nero. And that when John wrote about Nero, it, those letters were sent to the Asia Minor province, those churches there. And he had to talk about a beast. But he couldn't say Nero's name, so he wrote Nero's name in code. And the whole time where he's talking about this beast rising up, he's talking about Nero. 
And that when those letters were sent to Asia and they were sent to other regions, other regions used a little bit different Gematria code. And so when they wrote the, rewrote the letters to send out to even more Christians, they had to change the numbers so that they could understand it. So they changed it from 666 to 616, right? Now, let's go back to what all of this means, the mark of the beast, if this is true. And again, I'm just giving you an opinion. I'm just giving you an option. You can believe whatever it is you want to believe. So he says that you have to have the mark of the beast on your hand or forehead, which, again, is not literal. But what that really meant to most Jews who would understand that is power, control, money, finances, right? And you have to have the mark of the beast in order to buy, sell, and trade. What's really interesting about this opinion is that not only did Nero persecute Christians, but afterwards he, he learned a little bit about Christianity himself. He learned about the prophecy of Jesus and what Christians believed about Jesus. And he decided that not only did he want to persecute Christians, but he wanted everyone to recognize him as their savior. And so he began to put on all of the coins and at each market this phrase right here. Nero Caesar, son of God. And it was on the money and it was in the coins that you had to have to buy, sell, to trade. And at every single marketplace, there was an idol that was made to Nero. And at the bottom was a plate. And guess what it said? Nero, Caesar, son of God. And do you know what you had to do in order to enter the marketplace? You had to go to the idol and you had to light incense and you had to say a prayer and you had to bow down to the idol. And that was your sign of recognizing that Caesar was, in fact, the son of God. And do you know what they commonly referred to this as? Taking the mark. And many churches at that time were left with this option. What do we do? We can't sell. We can't buy things. We can't do anything unless we take the mark, unless we bow down to Caesar, unless we say, yes, you are. You are the son of God. Unless they adopted exactly what Nero Caesar wanted them to adopt. And so many people believe that these churches who had Give, who had pled their allegiance to Caesar and, and kind of watered down their allegiance and their faith to God, that John was writing them a letter from prison going, I'm hearing what's going on out there and it's not very good. And excuse me, you're going to have to do some calculations. I have to write this in code. But let me tell you about this mark of the beast. And I've seen you take this mark. And I've seen what you've done. And let me tell you, you're, you're betraying your father in heaven. I want to go to this, this next thing. It's... Stay true to God and, and lose your livelihood or offer your allegiance to the beast and be free. That was the choice that they had. What did they do? What are the options? And so many Christians wanted to fight, and Peter wrote them a letter. And other Christians, well, they just they joined in, and they, they went with the government, and they, they did what Nero wanted. And many people believe that John was writing them. Now, there's still a question left. Then does that mean that, that Nero was the Antichrist? Or is the Antichrist coming? Well, here's what's interesting about that. Nowhere in Revelations is the word Antichrist. It only talks about a beast. So no matter what opinion you want to adopt and what you think, when you're mixing the Antichrist and Revelations together, you're mixing two different parts of the Bible. It really doesn't make sense. The Antichrist is only mentioned a couple times, and guess who it's mentioned by? John and 1 John. Not as gospel, but First and Second John. And, but you really can't take Antichrist and talk about Revelations because Antichrist isn't in Revelations. A beast is. 
it's maybe considered two different things. So just be careful of that as you, you talk about this or share this with your grandchildren, okay? But Antichrist is in the Bible a couple times, and it's mentioned by John, which that's why I believe really that Revelations was written by John the Apostle, because it uses some of the same imagery and it uses some of the same language. But this is what it says about an Antichrist. Dear children, this is the last hour. Now again, this is not to be taken literally, right? I mean, do you think that the people who received this letter from John, that they went, oh my goodness, we only have an hour left, right? No. But see, here's what's so bad, is so many places in Scripture it says the, ne- the, the end is near, the hour is now, we're in the last hour. And it's funny because every generation for 2,000 years has thought that it's talking about their generation, right? I mean, it's been going on for 2,000 years, but think about it. Somebody got this letter 2,000 years ago, and they thought it was, they're like, we're definitely going to see Jesus in our time. And then it skipped a couple, yeah, no, it's definitely our generation because, you know, we're so important. And then it went to another generation, like, no, it wasn't my grandparents' generation, it's our, you know, I mean, it's endless, right? But we can't take this literally. So John goes on, and he says, dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, Right? This was the plaque that was above your grandmother's kitchen table, right? This is what she shared with you to get you in line. The Antichrist is coming, right? This was what makes us freak out. But listen to what comes next. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Now, wait a minute. I really thought it was Oprah. I mean, right? I thought, wait, many? Many Antichrists? I thought there was just one. That's what Left Behind told us, right? There's just one Antichrist. And this says many Antichrists have come. You mean there's already been a bunch of Antichrists? How many Antichrists are there? And then it goes on. And this is what it says next. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. All right, so now it's talking about spirit. It's not talking about a person. It's talking about the spirit of God. And guess what it says next? It says next, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Wait a minute. So you, you mean the Antichrist isn't so much a person, but it's like a spirit, and it's a spirit that's the opposite of the spirit of God? And it says, which you have already heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So this is what's so interesting about this, Right? is that when the Antichrist is is spoken about by John and only John, it's mentioned as not a person, but as a spirit or an attitude or a heart condition. And what he's saying is is the spirit of the Antichrist is really the opposite of the spirit of God. And he goes, and there's there's been a lot of them, and there's going to be more to come. As a matter of fact, there are many Antichrists in this world today. And so here's kind of what's so, so interesting about this to me. It's kind of funny. You know, have you heard recently that, you know, there was a, a big debate and Christians really got in an uproar and made a, a bunch of scenes on the media whenever little Nas came out with that Nike shoe, the 666 shoe. He came out with a Satan shoe that had 666 shoe and it had a drop of blood in it, right? Which this is what should give you so much hope is that if opinion number two is right, it's not little Nas did not come out with a Satan shoe with a drop of blood in it. He actually came out with a little Caesar's shoe. (laughs) And that drop of blood is probably a drop of marinara sauce. So (laughs) you guys should stop freaking out. It's all okay. All right. It's just 
And somebody should probably write him about Gematria code because he really screwed up that marketing campaign. There should be a pizza in his hand, okay? Not a pitchfork. But anyway, what, what does this all mean for us today? Again, you can believe whatever it is you want to believe. And there's tons, of, there's tons of other stuff. I could spend so much time breaking down the parallels between what, what Caesar did and, and what John could have meant by, by Jesus' second coming. Or It could still be a, 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 a terrible dream that John had of a future where the Skynet rises up and we fight the Terminators and it's really, really bad. Who knows? Nobody really knows. That's the point. But... There are some great practical questions that we can take from this conversation and apply to ourselves today. And this is the first question, is this. What if the government, your job, your family, or your friends offers promises of security, safety, and authority at the cost of righteousness and faithfulness to God? Because that did happen in 65 AD, and it happened for 40 years. And guess what? That could happen again today. So let me ask you a question. This is what you should be concerned about. This is what could happen in your lifetime. Is that you could come to a point in time where the government, where your job, your family, your friends, says, I, I'm going to be with you or I'll offer you this safety. I'll give you this stimulus check. But in order to do that, you have to believe these set of values. You have to go according to this. You know, there are places in our country, even today, where sermons or pastors have been asked to turn in their sermon manuscripts because they don't want them to address issues on sexuality in particular or other beliefs or speak out against the government or have an opinion on certain things. And so there are places in our country, even today, stories that you could look up, things that have happened in Houston in 2014 or Georgia in 2016, where guess what? Pastors have been told what they can and can't preach about. That could happen. That could happen to me. That happens around the world today. And guess what? Your job could do the same thing. Your job could say, you have to be a part of this parade, or you have to adopt this, or you need to sign your emails this way, and you have to go along with this, or else you're going to lose your job. And guess what? There could be a time in your lifetime where you have to choose between your faithfulness in God and your comfort and your material possessions and your paycheck and your bank account. That is what you need to be most afraid of. That is what you need to keep your eyes open for. Not a mark of the beast, not a microchip, but what could happen today is that. And then when it comes to the Antichrist, well, as we said, the Antichrist, it, you know, it's, it's a spirit. It could, it could be anybody. He says there's been a lot of spirits. There, there, you know, there, there's been many that have come and, and many that will come. And so, I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, Guys, some of you have, have thought this, and it's true. Your mother-in-law could be the Antichrist. You may not be wrong, all right? You may, have, you may have been onto something. It's true. It could be anyone, right? But here's the thing. If, it's, if it could be true of anybody, because anybody could have the spirit of the Antichrist, what you really need to ask yourself is this. Am I an Antichrist? See, us Christians, we're always on the lookout, you know? Every politician, every famous person, I think. I think that's the one. I think that's the, I think could be. And it's the Antichrist. I tell you, it's a, when really the whole time as we freak out and we, we paint a horrible image of Jesus, the truth is, is that we're being an Antichrist. Why? Because what is the Antichrist? The Antichrist is a spirit of the Antichrist is any spirit that is counter to the spirit of God. And Paul very clearly tells us what the spirit of God looks like, right? I mean, he says this to the church in Galatians. 
He says the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of God, the Spirit of God is, is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let me ask you something. Has there ever been a time where you haven't been peaceful or you haven't been patient or you haven't been very kind where you haven't been very good to somebody when you haven't been faithful when you haven't been gentle when you haven't shown self-control well if John were up here today he'd say when you're the opposite of these things you're you're not being the spirit of God you're you're being the spirit of the antichrist so the truth is is that all of us at one time or another have been the antichrist See, I think what's practical for us today, we could all guess about what's going to happen and how we think we're going to happen. And again, you could find articles and books and profess, prof, professionals and professors and all kinds of things that will tell you, no, it's definitely this, or no, it's definitely this, or I'm telling you it's this. It really doesn't matter, and it's not worth fighting about. But the truth is, is that every single one of us can have the spirit of the Antichrist in us. And every single one of us, as we could do something to build the kingdom of God, we can also do things that tear down the kingdom of God. And the thing is, is that I think what's practical for every single one of us today, and this is me preaching at you now, is that I think all of us need to look, take a hard look at the, the psalm that David wrote, the prayer that David wrote, where he said this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And again, why do we freak out about the end times? Why do we freak out about the Antichrist? It's because we're anxious about it. It's because we're fearful about it. It's because what we're told about it. But here's what you understand is in your anxiousness and in your fear, sometimes you have the spirit of the Antichrist. As you fear the Antichrist, many of us, we become the Antichrist. During elections, during pivotal moments, during pandemics, our fear and anxiety gets the best of us. And instead of having the spirit of God, have the spirit of the Antichrist. So each of us need to stop and we need to pray, Lord, test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. Think if you began your day in this way. Think if you began praying this, this prayer, this psalm that David wrote. Lord, search me. Know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. Because today... I want to build the kingdom of God. I want to bring the kingdom to light. I want to inspire people to, follow, to follow Jesus. I don't want to get in the way of what you're trying to do in the world because I'm fearful, because I'm anxious, because I'm scared of losing my comfort, my material. So I, I, once again, I have some, some questions for you to discuss, some, some, some conversation for the ride home. And these are the questions here. Is your anxiety or fear causing you to put your faith in something or someone other than God? Again, this could happen today. This could happen tomorrow. It's happening around the world. Just what are you willing to give up? If the world or your friends or your family or your job or the government put you in a corner, put you in a predicament where you have to choose to adopt certain beliefs, where you have to choose to water down your faith, where you have to choose to turn your moral compass a bit in order to enjoy certain things of this world. Are you willing to give those things up if it means being faithful to God? Because the Christians for 
a long time, during 64 A.D. to about 97 A.D., they had to make that decision. And some churches and some Christians, they decided to fold and give in to the Caesar. Others, though, decided that they would live as a nomad, that they would give up those things. Some of them died in the process, but it was that important to them. They would not give up their faith. Let me ask you, if you get in that predicament, if you get in that situation at work, what are you going to choose to do? And the second question is this, is, is there a spirit of the Antichrist in you? Is there any part of your heart that is not turned towards God? Is there any part of your life that you haven't surrendered to God? Evil that you've chosen to be a part of. Things you've done out of emotion. Things you've done because you're scared. Things you've done because you're anxious. Because when you do that, it's not just sin. It's the anti-spirit of Christ. It's the exact opposite of the way that Jesus wants us to live. And so my prayer for us again today, going back to this psalm, is this. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Will you, will you read that out loud with me today? Let's read this out loud together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Will you bow your heads with me today? Father God, we come to you today. Lord, I don't know what your vision to John meant. I know it could mean a lot of different things. I don't know if it was intended for an audience thousands of years ago or if it's intended for us, but I know why it's there. I know why it was inspired by you and, and why it was put into the Word. It's because it still, it still means something for us today. What it doesn't mean is it's not something that we should fear, but it really leaves us with a question to ask ourselves. Just how faithful are we willing to be to you? Will we be faithful even when it's hard? Will we be faithful when it means giving up freedom? Will we be faithful when some of our comforts are taken away from us? Will we still honestly look to you as our, as our Savior, as our hope? Or God, have we sometimes put our faith in, in governments and leaders and people and in organizations? Do we depend really on you or do we depend on man-made things, Lord? And God, every single one of us are, are faced with the question that, that John gives us today is, do we have the Spirit of God or really is our spirit more leaning towards the things that are opposite of your Son, Jesus Christ? Are we leaning towards a spirit that is not patient, that is not kind, that does not show self-control? Are we showing a spirit that, that does not love, that is not peaceful, but is, but is angry, is upset, is, is after something? God, every single one of us this morning can pray that prayer that David gave us and, and look inside of our hearts. And God, I pray that you would do that today and you would measure us and God, if there's any part of our life that we have not surrendered to you, 
Would you help us to do that today? Would you search my heart and know me? And would I have the courage to lay down my life for you? Help me to lay down the things in my heart today. And God, if it's required of me in the future, help me to lay down my life for you, my comfort for you, my freedom for you. God, we pray these things in your name. If you'd like to support Anchored Hope, you can make a donation at anchoredhope.church forward slash give. If you'd like to connect with someone from Anchored Hope, go to anchoredhope.church forward slash high. Thank you for listening and God bless.